You are listening to the Ridgewood Church Podcast on a sermon series that will take us through the Gospel of John, entitled, Learning Jesus. Well, when it comes to your life, I would ask you, how do you handle rejection? Some people have made a career out of rejection, and I grew up as a big basketball fan and have loved the NBA for a lot of years, and Dikembe Mutombo uh, is a famous all-star center, and he was known for blocking people's shots, and then he would wave his finger in their face after he rejected their shot. And I would also ask you with that, where have you experienced rejection personally? Some of us, we feel like perhaps we have been a part of an unending stream of rejection to the point where we start to wear that a little bit. It's become a part of our identity. And still others of us maybe want to be the rejecter as fast as we can so we don't have to deal with the potential of us being rejected. We push away from people very quickly. And so we want to control the relationship. And by doing so, we want to be the one to reject as soon as possible. And which one would you find yourself perhaps in? Would you be more of the continually rejected, or do you find yourself the one that is all the time guarded against people in relationship? And that's what we're going to talk about today as we turn into the scriptures to see Jesus in easily one of his most vulnerable moments as he puts himself out there all the way and is ultimately rejected. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to grab them, and we're going to be in John chapter 13 in verses 21 through 30 here this morning. And if you don't have a copy of the scriptures of your own, I invite you to grab the one in the seat back in front of you. You can track along on page 900 there. And then, as always, in the Ridgewood Church app, if you want to open that up, you can just click Media, Sermon Study Guide, and then we're in the series Learning Jesus right now, and you'll see today's date, and you can track right along with where I'm headed here this morning. But the big idea is that Christ's love for us is powerful, but what we're seeing here is the rejected love of Christ. And coming off of last week's sermon, Pastor Paul showed us incredible servanthood on the part of Jesus as he washed the disciples' feet and as he showed us what true greatness is. It's not asking for our own way or demanding something, but it instead is us getting low. And he laid down that path for us that he gave of himself and he got low to serve and show wonderful love to the disciples. And today as we keep pressing into the scriptures I would encourage you just to listen and understand that Hebrews describes the Word of God as a two-edged sword, that it cuts into us. And I don't know about you, but my heart can be hard a lot of times, and I need God's Word to cut into me and to make space so that tenderness can be true of me, so that obedience in Christ can be true. And may that be true for every one of us here today as we encounter God in the Scriptures. But let's plug it back into the scene. If you weren't here last week, we covered verses 1 through 20, seeing Jesus wash the disciples' feet, and it was a great time of celebration. The emotions were high, and there was beautiful joy that was taking place together as this group of followers of Christ were experiencing uh, the love that he had for them. He was demonstrating that to them. And Pastor Paul showed us last week just how truly out of bounds culturally that was for Jesus to be washing their feet. This guy that they adored, they looked up to, they reverenced Christ, and he got low and washed their feet. And so it is an incredible moment of vibrancy for them in this upper room experience. And I point that out because now there's going to be a big shift as we go into our passage here today. And so let me read these verses to you, and we'll continue forward here together. So John 13, 21 is where we'll start. 
After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, It is he whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Verse 27. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, What you are going to do, do quickly. Now no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, Buy what we need for the feast or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving this morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. That's the context for us here today, and this is God's word to us. And I just want to give you a little bit of a picture of where we're headed together in the next few minutes. And the first thing that is that my hope is that you would be able to see the depth of emotion in Christ in these moments that he had with his disciples. And then as we look at the rejection of Judas against Christ Um, we'll see the way then that Christ ultimately shows a powerful love to him. And it's a resolute love of the Savior that's on full display for us today. And then I just want to finish with a few practical thoughts, perhaps, on how we could respond. And so the first thing that we see, and that's really important for us to just really feel the weight of, and that is Jesus' troubled soul, that he was deeply troubled in this moment. And so I just would invite you to kind of enter in with the emotion of where Christ is in this moment with his disciples. And the reality of Jesus' incarnation is that his life is powerfully on display. And Christ experienced all that we experience in our humanness. And what's amazing as we've been going through this Learning Jesus series together is that We're not seeing a path that Jesus is living out as though that is an exception to us, but rather he's living out an example for us. So not an exception, but he's living out an example. He's teaching us what it looks like to be human. And I love that as we lean into who he is. So he's experiencing all the things that we would experience, and we shouldn't get confused or leave that part of Jesus out. And sometimes we leave that out and we miss the full picture of what we're to see in Christ. And that in the incarnation where he put on flesh and lived among us, that is how God means for us to see his glory. And Jesus was teaching us what it means to be human, that he's experiencing hunger, that he experiences temptation and pain and loss. And so we enter into that here today in our passage. And Christ's humanness isn't just an important piece for this moment, but it speaks to the weightiness of which he's very aware of what is about to take place. He's in true despair. Betrayal and impending anguish. He's starting to feel that and it's beginning to come and rest on him. He's moving from the moments of celebration to now he's truly feeling the seriousness of what's about to take place. And his announcement of the tragedy seems and is immediate. And he says, truly, truly. And he's basically saying the word amen there. He's saying, this is about to be true. This is truth. And that's what he's sharing with the disciples. But as we perceive or experience God's glory through the incarnation of Christ with God on full display in front of us, this isn't isolated to just merely the shiny stuff of all the exciting moments in Jesus' life and ministry. But what we get to be a part of is seeing Jesus in the most vulnerable moments of extreme struggle and trouble in his soul. And I love that that isn't kept from us in our passage. 
And some of us, maybe you grew up in a situation where you weren't allowed to show emotion and that it was something that you needed to just be guarded and buttoned up at all times. And maybe that was a family value. It's certainly at times a Western cultural value for us that we don't let people see what's going on inside of us, that we don't cry, we don't show emotion and that sort of thing. But I would just ask you, do you only show the shiny parts of your life to even those people that are closest to you? Do you keep your emotions so checked that people really don't know what's going on? And could it be that God is calling you to let people in a little bit more into the parts of your journey where you may be struggling and experiencing challenge? When we only show our Instagram-worthy moments to people, they don't get to receive the full extent of what God wants them to receive from our life And I really believe as disciples of Christ, we need each other. That's why we got to walk in community at a level where we really receive from others, even in the challenge and struggle of our day. The trouble that's coming on Jesus here is the bold-faced betrayal by someone that he had given full access of his heart and life to. And not access at a level of like, hey, we got this camera crew and they're going to get a little bit of footage of a day in the life of Judas and Jesus but truly an all-access pass where they, he, Judas was experiencing Christ at every level. And can you imagine going about Jesus' ministry and having a front-row seat to that and being in the middle of that to experience the highs and the lows, the laughter together and the tears, to see and witness amazing miracles of people being set free and people being healed. Judas was right in the middle of all of that. He wasn't an armchair observer. He was squarely in the middle of the action. And in some ways, we could look at this passage and say, you know, Judas betrayed Jesus, and we all betrayed Jesus too, and that is a true piece of the puzzle. But what's fascinating is that there was 11 other guys that continued and followed Jesus and remained in the room with him, certainly imperfectly as they kept following him, but they stayed with him, and they continued on. But Judas was now at the point of no return, and what we see is that his greed had overtaken him at a deep, deep level, and he gave himself over to the temptation of the position that he had as the handler of the money there. And one commentator says of Judas on this passage, he says, Judas has been designated as a thief, a devil man, and a traitor. And there's no question that he's the villain in John, but behind him lurks the greater villain, the devil, who in this passage is for the first and only time in John designated as Satan, the accuser and enemy of God. So for Satan to enter into Judas is one of the most horrible expressions that we could ever hear, and Satan is beginning to work out his will into Judas's life. I believe it's good for us to note here, as we see the troubled heart that John is pointing out in Christ, that this isn't just superfluous concern or unwarranted fear. Not only is Jesus looking towards the cross, he knows what's coming for him there, but he's also experiencing the waywardness of a friend who is now done with his former teacher. Judas is brushing aside Christ, and he uses the phrase, one of you will betray me, which seems to expose the despair over the feeling that Judas is now heading over the edge, and Christ is fully feeling that in that moment. And that takes us to the next part of our passage where we experience and see for Judas walking away from Christ, wholesale rejection. That for this teacher that loved him so well, he is pushing away from the table and going and not not only just leaving, but giving Christ over. It's a wholesale rejection. And it's believed that Judas came from a wealthier family than the rest of the disciples. I find that fascinating. 
and he was often the treasurer of the group. So as the disciples would go about their ministry and all the different concerns as this group is going place to place, Judas would oftentimes be the one to represent them and to take care of the bill or to address financial concerns for the group as they go about and what they're doing. And so the disciples weren't at all surprised when they saw Judas getting up to go because they figured he, he's just handling the business matters on their behalf. And isn't it fascinating that sometimes an area of great strength for us can move over and become one of our greatest weaknesses? And sometimes we see that with people with huge personalities, larger-than-life personalities, that instead of going down a wonderful path, it causes them to move into a life of people-pleasing, or they go down a path of addiction. We see other people that have just an amazing strategic intelligent mind, and instead of using that for gain and for positive impact, they use that to wreak havoc instead. Sometimes our areas of greatest strength can become our weakness if we're not careful. And for Judas, personal gain was largely in view in this moment. It was foretold uh, hundreds of years before that in Zechariah 11, 12, and 13. It says, Then I said to them, If it seems good to you, give me my wages, but if not, keep them. And they weighed out as my wages 30 pieces of silver. Then the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, the lordly price at which I was priced by them. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord to the potter. So it's an amazing thing that this was foretold. It's part of the prophetic, our understanding of Christ's coming and the events that would take place. And we know that Judas was ultimately given 30 pieces of silver in betrayal of Christ to make him accessible for those that wanted to take his life. And that was the price that was given. The other disciples here in this moment are trying to figure out what, you know, a little bit of what's going on. And we see Peter and John relating to one another. And those are the two that are particularly in question. And Peter, as is his usual self, makes it about himself. And he's kind of like, hey, John, you know, what's going on over there? Can you, can you fill me in? So we understand that John is the one whom Jesus loved. They had an incredibly deep and close relationship. He loved them all, uh, but John was particularly close to Christ. And they're all trying to figure out to what extent uh, these things had happened. And so maybe you've experienced a sibling or a coworker trying to get you to go find the answer that they don't want to actually ask. That was kind of what's in view here for Peter employing John to figure out what's going on. One scholar referring to what Jesus was experiencing here suggests that the inmost life of his human spirit was invaded by horror at the unprecedented fact of his approaching and imminent betrayal. The sight of the crafty one and of his connection with the circle of disciples, most of whom were without suspicion of his guilt and had trusted implicitly his fidelity. So they didn't know what was going on, but in this moment Christ is really, his heart is getting heavy. And he knew the full extent of the outcome that would happen, but that does not make the journey of the path of suffering any less challenging for Christ. And just imagine for him, he's understanding that he's going to bear up under the weight of the world, an untold horror of being beaten, being crucified, being hung on a cross, and ultimately taking on the sin of humanity. He's, he's got that in view, and then on top of that is layered heartache and abandonment and pain from the one that would reject him. When it comes to rejection, psychologists give us an understanding that there's four phases that we go through after we've experienced rejection, and maybe you've experienced these in your life as you've gone about your life. And the first thing we see is denial. 
And that is the first experience that we have once we're rejected, that we completely deny that something happened, we bury our head, we don't want to admit that it's there. And from denial, we move into anger. And so from, from that moment on, there's an explosiveness to our response of being rejected in this second phase of anger. And then the third phase is depression. So we go from experiencing fiery feelings to now going down into deep despair or discouragement. And then the last phase that psychologists assert that we go through is over time, we experience acceptance. So we begin to come to a reality, to a little bit better understanding of what's taken place. And it's a path, it's a natural progression for us as we've experienced or been rejected and experienced betrayal. And maybe some of you are in the throes of those experiences right now, could be going through them right now. But the result in Jesus that's brought about is an interesting one. Because the scriptures describe that he's stirred and that he's in great distress. And although it's hard to lay out the progression of what he was experiencing and all the emotions that are there, I believe that Jesus rises above a natural response to rejection, and it ultimately gives us extraordinary hope. And what we see in the midst of his pain is the third thing out of our passage here today, and that is obedient love. That he's able to rise above the natural response to rejection, and truly embody obedient love. And that is what is in view for us, that Christ has obedience and honoring or giving glory to the Father so in view that he's able to respond like this. Judas was not outside of his foreknowledge and knowing what would take place, but he loved Judas so well. And last week we saw he had just washed, moments before our passage here today, he had just gotten low and washed Judas' feet, fully knowing that he was going to be rejected, that he was going to be betrayed, and his life was going to be given over by this one that he had expressed so much love to. And this isn't a fake projection of love. I think that's good for us to experience. He's not Minnesota nicing Judas in this moment. He really has given all of himself still in that moment with Judas. Full fellowship and friendship are happening all the way up to the moment of Judas's departure. And what I love is that Jesus gives Judas the bread, and he's not only signifying, as our passage tells us, that this is identifying the one who's the betrayer, but he's showing him, culturally, he's showing him full acceptance all the way to the end. It's unbelievable love that he continues to offer that to Judas. He's giving that to him, and he's not shutting him out. And many times I believe that we draw sharp lines in relationships with people because we want to have it our own way. We want to experience things. And so when it comes to politics or lifestyle choices or background or family of origin, we draw lines and we don't relate to people. And I would ask you, is there someone or a group of people that you've created space with that God wouldn't intend for you to have space between you and them? And perhaps there's a response from you that could be needed today that the Lord would put it on your heart to reach out to somebody today and say, hey, you know what? I don't mean for this to be like it is, and I just want to apologize for how I've created space in our relationship. May the Lord be saying something to you there possibly today. We know that Jesus loved Judas to the end and the rest of his disciples. I love that in verse 1 that we saw last week. And how was he able to do this? That's just a question that I wrestled with in looking over this passage. And it's so incredible to see his commitment to his Father's will all along the way. Jesus wasn't just a good man. 
But he was a sinless man that remained connected to what it is that the Father had called him to all along the way. And living a life of obedience was that path. He surrendered to the Father in all things. And he's laying out an example for us that we can surrender before the Father as well in following what Jesus does. And I love in Hebrews 5.8, what a powerful verse, especially around the difficult moments of loving people well that we're seeing with Christ. Although he was a son... He learned obedience through the things that he suffered. Through what he suffered, he learned obedience. And obedience is important for us. If it's important to Christ, it absolutely is important to us. And it's a part of what God is using to work out powerful things in our life. We can't overlook the path of obedience in following Christ. That is the path that we follow, his example. So I'd ask you, what heartaches or obstacles and what disappointments or pain might you be experiencing right now in your journey? And how do you interpret those things? Do you know that God is working out something powerfully in you and that your response in obedience matters and that he's with you in it? Do you understand that obedience will deliver you to the result that God has for you? It's an amazing thing to follow Jesus in this way. And in next week's text, we see the beauty of Christ's behavior here in expressing obedient love and giving full acceptance to Judas all the way to the end. This chapter layers on itself. So we saw in the first 20 verses how Jesus is getting low and he's serving them. And then he's showing just unbelievable acceptance and love. And then that sets the table. You've got to come back next week. I don't want to preach Paul's message here uh, today for where he's going next week. But when Jesus gives them a new commandment that we love one another... It's built on that foundation. So come back next week for that and experience all that God is doing. And I just want to give you three thoughts on how we could respond to the rejected love that Judas rejected Christ's love. How do we respond to the power of that love in our life so that we don't walk in rejection of him? So just three quick things before we close. The first thing is to know his acceptance of you powerfully. Do you know that you've been accepted by Christ? Do you feel the weight of that and the value of that, that he's extending just in the same way that he did to Judas, he's extending full acceptance? Do you know that he's given that to you? And perhaps maybe you need to go for a walk or if it's still raining, sit in your living room and just consider the full acceptance that God has of you. And what's amazing in the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15, that the son already had acceptance but he went pursuing other things to try to understand that. And for a lot of us, we got to touch the hot stove multiple times before we figure that thing out. And that's what took place for the prodigal son. And then he was received back in to the party with full acceptance, giving the rights as a son again. Do you know that you're accepted powerfully by Christ? You don't have to do a dance to bring his love towards you. He already fully loves you. Do you know and receive his love? The second thing is to ask to see your heart clearly. And part of the weight of this passage is that we ought to be sobered with what's inside of us. If that took place with Judas, we can't assume that it's not in us as well. And so we ask the Holy Spirit to hold up a mirror for us to see our heart clearly. And could it be there's things that God is working out in your heart even today that he wants you to root out of your life? And we do this together. We don't do it in isolation. We know that we need each other in that. And a mentor of mine had a seminary professor that taught deep into his 80s. And in his upper 80s, uh, during a class, somebody 
asserted that he probably did, that this professor didn't deal with certain sins now that he was, uh, as long as he was in his relationship with Christ and now that he was getting up in age. And the professor stopped him and said, there isn't one day that I don't have to raise my boxing gloves and go to blows with the sin in my life. And Puritan preacher John Owen said, be killing sin or it'll be killing you. That we got to take our sins seriously, but we do that together in the context of community with people around us that'll be loving towards us. And it doesn't have to be a horribly painful process. We just need to lean in and ask God to help us see our heart clearly. The last thing real quick is that we lean into grace confidently. And it's interesting to me, I've been in different Bible studies and heard over the years people kind of assert that uh, with Adam and Eve in the garden, it's kind of like this, well, if I had just been there, we wouldn't have gotten into this mess. I wouldn't have done the same thing that they did. And the reality is, yes, you would, and so would I, every single one of us. And it's laughable to me that we just so quickly put ourselves out there. And let me encourage you that the gospel is not what you and I do, it's what Christ did. And so we need to lean into grace confidently, knowing that this love that Christ has for us produces a beautiful result, and that the grace that he gives us causes our hearts to respond in faith and bring about salvation in our life. So I just would invite you to bow your heads, and let's just sit quiet for a moment. And I really believe that God would have each one of us consider the condition of our heart and our life for a minute today. So what is it that you need to receive most from the Lord today? Do you need to know his love for you, to just consider and ponder his acceptance and walk in that for a while today? Maybe you need truly to have a sense of how he's working in your heart. And so ask him for help to be able to see what he's doing in changing your heart. And still others of us just need to know and walk in the confidence and lean into grace that we're fully accepted, that we're deeply loved, and that he is powerfully at work in our life. So just sit quietly for a second and then I'll close us in prayer. Thank you for joining us on the Ridgewood Church Podcast. For more faith-based resources or information about Ridgewood Church, visit us at myrwc.org.